Hallelujah. He reigns. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Glad you're here tonight. I want to encourage you. Don't forget, we're going to have a great time Sunday morning. Sunday night, I've got a new word. I feel the Lord gave me a new word the other night as I was praying. And so I'm going to share something new Sunday night. Sunday morning, I got a new word. There was three messages I was praying about. And God today spoke to me about a fourth one, which is the one. So, hallelujah. Thank God. Thank Lord he speaks. Amen. It's not a dice what I'm going to preach today, you know. He, he leads. He guides. He knows what we need. He knows what we need tonight. As we continue studying Romans chapter 4, I want to go to Psalms 32 because Paul quotes from this. And so I want to build something here tonight because like I shared a few weeks ago, Paul is challenging the Jews what they call justification and inherited righteous. And I'm going to share some things that they believe that the rabbis have written. But we want to see, and I want to start off here with David, about how truly blessed we are. And I want you to see why. In, in, in Psalms chapter 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And Paul quotes this, challenging the Jews about David. And this is the thing that I want you to get as we get ready to study this and get into some more scriptures. David is saying, if you ask me why I'm blessed and my life depends on it. And when you study that word, he's saying, I depend upon the the, the forgiveness of God, like the deer depends upon water and grass to grow by. I depend upon the forgiveness of God. I am blessed. If you ask me why I'm blessed, I am so dependent on the mercy and the grace and the forgiving power of my God that it breaks forth. And you're going to see in the scripture, it breaks forth in worship. And one of the reasons David wrote so many psalms, so many songs, so many prophetic words, and a lot of the reason is because he saw he was so blessed. It's not because he lived in a palace. It wasn't because he ruled over the kingdom of Israel and Judah. It wasn't because of how many horses and chariots he had. He said, I'm blessed because I've encountered the forgiving power of God. And that's what David is saying here. And the Living Bible says, Oh, what joy for those who disobedience is forgiven. And you see, David would just meditate and he would just stand and meditate before the Lord. I was so disobedient and I didn't deserve your forgiveness, but you forgave me anyway. And he goes on to say, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. David is just starting to break forth in praise. You want to know why I'm I'm a blessed person? Somebody says, what do you have to be happy about? You know what? My dishonesty, my rebellion, and my sins, my slate has been totally cleared out. The message, says, the message says, count yourself lucky. How hot, happy you must be, you get a fresh start. Your slate's wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you're, you're holding nothing back from him. Do you see why David could worship the way he could worship? Do you see why David was so different that Solomon couldn't even get a hold of the heart of a worshiper that David had? Because David said, Lord, 
You're not holding forgiveness back from me. I'm not holding nothing back from you. You wiped my slate clean. I may go down in the history book as an adulterer and a, and a killer and a murderer. But in your book, my slate is clean. And I'm going down in your history as a priest before you. Hallelujah. And we want to look at some of these things. And David is saying, you're a blessed person. If you realize you're justified not by works. Because David, you heard David would say what others wouldn't say. He says, if, if you would require sacrifice, I'd give you any sacrifice you want. But it, I, I've got a revelation of God. It's not in the sacrifice of animals and goats and calves. I got a, I got a revelation of God who's going to become flesh and become a sacrifice and cover my sins. Jesus said, David saw my day and rejoiced. Because he rejoiced because he says, I'm blessed because there's a lamb who's coming who's going to cover me of all my sins, of all my wrongs. And what the blood of animals could not cover, the son, the son of God, his blood is going to cover it all. And so David would start in rejoicing. He would say, forever thy throne is established. And he would get a revelation of Jesus. And he would see the prophetic word of Jesus. And even this word, according to the rabbis, are saying, this is a prophetic word of something that didn't exist in David's day, but David still saw I'm blessed now, no matter if it's 450 years from now that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming 450 years from the day that I'm writing this, but I got a revelation that my sins are already clean, and, and I'm a blessed man. I'm blessed! Because my slate is wiped clean. Is that powerful? Is that powerful? This word impute there means, and it's in Romans, and it's right here in Psalms, it says impute iniquity. The word impute means it does not reckon with, doesn't even count. Pastor, do you know how many times I did that? Guess what? Who's counting? Are you one of those blessed ones that God's not counting how many times you messed up? That's what this word means right here. I messed up. Pastor, I messed up, I know, 25 times this week. Who's counting? God's not. Why are you counting? People say, why are you so blessed? God's not counting how many times I goofed it. The word imputed means to put into one's account or to credit or to deposit. Well, there's another one, Cobb. Oh, that's another one. There's another lie. Let's put it in your account. That's number 16. Wrong attitude, let's put it in your account. And when you get to 30, I'm going to kill you. No. There's no account to deposit it in. He's not keeping count. There is no deposit. There is no ATM machine that I can take out if I've taken in. There's no deposit of what I've done wrong, what you've done wrong. And David says, I'm just going to praise God for his mercy that endures forever. That he's not even counting the mistakes that I've made. Mm. He's not accounting it, depositing it. If God credits and counts a man righteous without works, it's because we know that we're not justified by works. I want you to look at Romans chapter 6 with me. 
And there's just something God just changed. And I, I just want to flow with this tonight. And we're going to look up some scriptures because it's going to bless you. But Romans chapter 6 verse 11. I want you to see this in the Living Bible. Romans chapter 6 11. We know. You've got to know this. That's why you're blessed because you know this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So that the sin might lose its power in our lives. And we are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. The message says, never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language, and it means absolutely nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, so you hang on to every word. You are dead to sin, but alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Boy, that's awesome. Paul is saying, you're not going to belittle the power of what Christ did by trying to put rituals in here. The Bible talks about blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven and covered. Sin does exist. Despite all the works and the efforts of man to eliminate it, sin does exist, no matter how men try. But when God handled sin... He eliminated its power and influence over our lives forever. Logic tells us that if God loves us that much and loves enough to simply forgive men for sin, therefore justification means I can do nothing to earn it. He just gave it to me because he loved me enough to give it to me. The blessed man is the man whose sins are not imputed or counted against him. It is not the acts of men, but the act of God that justifies men and does not count the sin against us. No man can free himself from sin and force God to accept him, not by his own hand. Just a justification means complete deliverance from sin and condemnation that comes from God and God alone, not by some act of man to justify him. It's only because God alone says, I gave my son, you accepted my son by faith, therefore there is nothing counted or held up against you. When you stand before the throne room of God, there's going to be nothing in your account when you repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you. He is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness because he desires to, not because you earned it. It's because Jesus completed it. Look with me in a few scriptures. I just want you to be blessed by this. Look at Isaiah chapter 38. Let me just bring you on, on a little uh, traveling through the merciful heart of God tonight. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, because this is what was ringing in the heart of Paul. Who are these men to try to bring you underneath bondage once again when the law could not eliminate the power of sin? Only the blood of Jesus Christ could eliminate the power of sin and the curse. And look at this tonight in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. I love in the Living Bible, it says... Yes, this anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death 
and forgiven all of my sins. Somebody say all of my sins. Goes on to talk about how the dead cannot praise you. But then he talks about, think of it, verse 20. Think of it, the Lord is ready to heal me. And I will sing his praises with instruments every day of my life in the temple of the Lord. See, this was the heart of David. You see, a lot of times people, a lot of times we're not the worshipers we're supposed to be or we could be. Because we're not meditating enough on the goodness and the mercy of God. You see, these people in the Old Testament, when they would see them animals die, and they would see the blood of animals go, and they knew by the word of the prophets that the blood of animals could never please the heart of God, that they were guilty of sin, they were, they, they were worthy of death, they were worthy of a crime, and that there was no way of being rescued. But when you get a revelation like David did, and the prophet Isaiah did, and the prophet Jeremiah did, and the prophet Micah did, every time they got a revelation of Jesus Christ, and they would prophesy about Jesus, the Son of God who would come and pay the penalty, of sin then it just talk it, every scripture you'll hear it one after another there's a worship that comes out and there's a worship that comes out and you may be without a job you may be going through something difficult you may have a challenge in your marriage you may have a challenge with your children life may not be exactly how you would like it to be and you would feel like you know I'm not the most blessed person right now because of what I'm going through but if you would understand that you're just so blessed just because of the mercy and the loving kindness of God then it says that I would have a song every day of just praising you about how merciful you are and what a good God you are and that you chose to forgive me. I, I cannot do nothing to earn it. You chose to forgive me. And that's what in these, is in the hearts of these people. Look at Isaiah chapter 43 with me. And look at this. This is so good. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. Here he's, this prophet is hearing God speak. And I'm going to read a few of these scriptures to you. We're just going to follow along. Isaiah 43 verse 25 says, I, yes, I alone. Not by circumcision, not by rituals, not by deeds. I alone will blot out your sins from, for my own sake. And I will never think of them again. Whoa. Let us review the situation together. And can you present your case to prove your innocence? From the very beginning, your first ancestor sinned against me. You want to talk about your, you want to talk about your innocence? You can never talk about your innocence. You go back all the way to Adam, and that's where sin started, and sin has always been. And that's what Paul was telling them. Abraham was a sinner. He was not innocent as they were trying to say. Everyone was a sinner. He says, you want to talk about your innocence? God says, there's only one way that your sins could be blotted out and not be counted up against you. It's for my own sake. It's because of my own love for you. I'm willing to pay the price and get it all done so that you don't have to bear the guilt and the shame of your sin. It says, all of your leaders broke my laws. That is why I have disgraced your priest and I've decreed completely destruction for Jacob and the shame of for Israel chapter 44 verse 1 but now listen to me Jacob my servant Israel my chosen one the Lord who made you and helps you says do not be afraid O Jacob my servant O dear Israel my chosen one for I will pour water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. And they will thrive like water grass. Like willows on the river bank. 
Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I'm a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands, and I will take the name of Israel as their own. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's host. I am the first and the last, and there is no other God who is like me. Amen? Who is like me? Is that powerful or is that powerful? Look, look at verse 22 of that, that same chapter. It says, I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Is that good or is that good? The message says, I've wiped the slate of all your wrongdoings. There's nothing left of your sins. Come back to me. I redeemed you. Can you praise the Lord for that? Amen. Is that just, that is so awesome. I have wiped the slate of your wrongdoings. There is nothing left to your sins. When my wife and I lived in the Andes Mountains, we lived for a while on top of a mountain. Our house was on a mountain. And we'd open our windows. We didn't have air conditioner or nothing, so the windows would be open. And because of the altitude, the clouds would go through our windows. You could see them go in one window and go out the house on the other side of the window. And you could just see the clouds going through our house because we were above the clouds. Well, he says, I'll sweep your sins away like the clouds. You go outside and you see the clouds moving, you just remember, I'll never see that cloud again. That's just like my sins. They're being swept away. Never remember. He says, I will sweep them away. Is that good or is that good? Isaiah 55. Look at Isaiah 55. You ought to feel like a blessed person when you leave here tonight. Isaiah 55, verse 7. It says, let the wicked change their ways. You see, you can't change your way if you think God's got an account with your name all over in it with everything you've done wrong. Why change your ways if you know you're going to do it all over again? But when you know that it's fresh every moment, it says, change your ways. And banish the very thought of doing wrong. And let them turn to the Lord and he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and he will forgive generously. Say that with me. He will forgive generously. Generously. Mm. Is that awesome? Psalm 78. Look at Psalm 78, 38. Psalm 78, 38. Oh, yeah, they did so wrong. They were so wrong. But look at the revelation here. It says, yet... He was merciful and forgave their sins and did not destroy them all. Many times he held back his anger and did not unleash his fury. Isn't that something? For he remembered that they were mere mortals, gone like the breath and never to return. Oh, the Lord just forgave their sin. Look at Psalms 85. Psalms 85, verse 1. This is good. Psalms 85, verse 1. Lord, you poured out blessings on your land and you restored the fortunes of Israel. Verse 2, listen to this. You forgave the guilt. There should be nobody here or listening by internet. There should be no born-again believer ever living with guilt. When you've accepted Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, when you have asked Him to forgive you of all your sins, you should never live in guilt 
it says you forgave the guilt, not just the sins, but the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all. Somebody say all. all. You covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I listen carefully to what the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace. Peace to his faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, so our land will be filled with his glory. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down his blessings. Our land will yield a bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the waves of his steps. Hallelujah. You can write this down, Psalms 103, verse 1. It says, who forgiveth all thy iniquity and heal all thy diseases. Aren't you thankful? He forgives how many? All. Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgression from us. Psalms 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And look at Micah 7, verse 18. The book of Micah 7, verse 18. I love this in the message translation. You can make notes of these scriptures. Don't ever let guilt and shame and sin ever beat you up. Don't ever let it beat you up. Because the, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, the rabbis were trying to beat the Gentile Christians up that the blood of Jesus was not enough. And Paul says, I'm going to jump on that right now. Jeez, God is so good. Listen to this. It says, where is the God who can compare with you? Isn't it sad when you hear the people who study the Koran and study the other religions and they believe that they have to sacrifice another animal to please the God and this and the other? And, and here the Micah is saying, where is the God who compares with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt. Here is that word again. Don't you dare let guilt beat you up. Wiping the slate clean of guilt. Turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people. I don't know about you. I know about you. We're a purged and a precious people. Can I hear an amen? We're a purged and a precious people to the Lord. We're a purged and a precious people. He says, I turn a blind ear. Anybody trying to condemn you and say you've got to do this and you've got to do that? i got a blind ear and i got a deaf ear to anything they say and anything they point out because I do not see it. I purged you of your guilt. You don't nurse your anger and don't stay angry long. For mercy, I love this in the message, for mercy is your specialty. Mercy is your specialty. That's what you love most. And compassion is on its way to us. You stamp out our wrongdoing. And you sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. My. Let me just give you some more scriptures here. I'll read them to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I have delivered thee from all that which I also received. How Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. 
that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the word of God of our Father. Galatians 1.4. Ephesians 1.7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Somebody shout out the blood. Whom we have redemption through his blood. Not the blood of animals. Not the blood of myself. But his blood. The forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 2.24. Who bore in his self. Bore, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Healed of guilt. Healed of condemnation. Healed of the power of sin. Healed of the power of the curse. We are healed of sickness and disease. 1 John 1.19 If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Revelation 1.5 Unto him that loved us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. I love the way the message says it. He blood washed us. He blood washed us. He blood washed us. Amen. How many have been blood washed? Glory be to God. The word blessedness in Psalms 32 is used three times. And the word sin is used for three times. Both things were used three times in, in Psalms 32 that Paul refers to in Romans 4. Blessed. Because you're forgiven is used three times and sin is used three times. There's a blessing for every sin. God is able to forgive and cover you. David's talking of life under the blessing. Say that with me. Life under the blessing. See, that's what Paul is trying to say. You're trying to get the Gentile Christians to live a life under the law. But Jesus came to give us a life under the blessing. Because blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven and covered. So I'm not trying to, ha you're not going to make me feel like I have to live under some ritual. I live by the grace and the mercy, the justification, the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're not going to, God is not identifying. And this is what Paul starts getting into if we have time to get into it. Paul starts getting into it. You're not going to try to make... The, the people feel like they have to be identified as part of a nation or a people. Abraham is the father of faith, not the father of the law. He existed 14 years before the law was even given. You're not going to try to make people come underneath the condemnation that they have to live under a ritual or a law of man. But you've got to come to understand that it's by the forgiving power of God. And David has said, as I, David is saying, I worship God because I depend upon his mercy every moment of every day. I depend on his mercy. You've got to learn to depend upon the mercy of God. you got to learn to depend upon the forgiving power of God. You see, you can live a blessed life if you have that revelation that, listen, I, he knows I'm moral, he knows I'm human, but I am born again and my name is in the Lamb's book of life and I am blood washed. And I may make a mistake, but I'm not going to dwell on that because he doesn't dwell on that. It's under the blood, so I'm going to worship him that I depend upon the mercy of God to face today and face tomorrow and face the rest of my life. And I have, praise God, I live under a blessed life and when I sing King Jesus before his throne, I'm not going to be ashamed, I'm not going to have guilt, I'm not even going to have any penalty that I'll have to bear before him because I'm blood washed and it's all under the blood of Jesus Christ I live a blessed life nothing counted against me that word blessed means legally declared and acquitted legally declared and acquitted he's saying God forgives based on his gracious choice in response to believing believing and that just as in the beginning of time listen to this what did God do with Adam and Eve? He covered the shame brought on by sin. 
And Paul is saying, the only thing that can cover the shame of sin is not the law of Moses. It's not the animals. It's not circumcision. It's not rituals and rites. It's by having faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can still cover your life from the shame of sin. I want to show you an example in Mark chapter 2 that I believe Paul would refer to. Mark chapter 2. That uh, give an example that you don't have to be perfect first to be accepted or blessed or called by God. Mark chapter 2. This is such an awesome story here. Mark chapter 2 verse 13. And I want to read this in the message because it says, it says what the King James is saying, but it says it to where you can pay. I, I caught something here in the message. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He says, then Jesus went again to walk alongside the lake. He went again. He had to go back. He had to go back. Why? A crowd came to him, and he taught them. And strolling along, he saw Levi at his work collecting taxes. And Jesus said, come along with me. And he came. He was at the work. He was right there when Jesus called him. He was stealing. He was lying. He was falsifying. He was overcharging. He was cheating. He was breaking the laws. He was sinning. He was there, it says, it says in the message, at his work collecting taxes. And, I, and I'll show you how I know that, you know, tax collectors were liars and cheaters. And look what he goes on to say. Here he is. He's at his work, lying, stealing, and cheating. And Jesus says, come follow me. Later, Jesus and disciples were at home having supper with a collection. I love this. With a collection of disreputable guests. Disreputable guests. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had become followers. Most unlikely as it seems. In other words, if I was Jesus, I would never choose you. I would never choose you. I'd never choose you. I'd never choose you. I'd never choose you. If I was Jesus, I'd never choose you. I'd never choose you. I'd never choose me. But Jesus chose a man and said, come be one of my disciples that was in the midst of his sin. And then he goes to eat at this man Levi's house. And there's a collection of disreputable guests. The uh, tax collectors and prostitutes. Everybody who's a sinner was there. And Jesus was there. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them became followers. The religion scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company. And they lit into his disciples. What kind of example is this? Acting cozy with the riffraff. I love the message translation. What is this? 
Your master, the rabbi, the teacher, the miracle worker, he who calls himself the son of God, who is this to keep company with these riffraff? And look who he calls his followers. I would even be caught in the same room with these, quote, followers of this man. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Listen what Jesus says. I am here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. I didn't come here for the circumcised ritual keeping spiritual fit. I came for the sin sick. I called Peter, who could outcurse anybody. I called Levi, who could outlie and outcheat anybody. And along this journey in life, I'm going to come to another tax collector in the tree, and I'm going to call him, and I'm going to go to his house. And I'm going to go to the prostitute, and she's going to wash my feet, and I'm going to let her, and I'm going to shoot back at those who's telling me I'm a sinner because I associate with sinners. You see it on TV, and I know you might have never had it happen. But on TV, you see these programs for these kids where all the famous football players and cheerleaders and everybody, they all sit together at a table and eat together. Maybe you saw that new movie, the, uh, what, what's that new movie with Sandra Bullock, the linebacker? Huh? Blind Slide. Do you remember a scene on that movie where he was sitting by himself and nobody was paying attention? It was a Richie school and he was sitting by himself and that little boy would go sit with him? Well, you know, when you, go into a, uh, when you go into a cafeteria, if you're invited to sit with the cool people, you sit with the cool people and you feel cool. Well, this is Jesus. If Jesus would go into a cafeteria, he would look for the nerds. He would look for the ones in the wheelchair. He would look for those of the wrong color who live in the wrong neighborhood. He would look for the ones who don't have the cool shoes. He would look for the ones who are contemplating suicide and have scars on their hands where they're cutting themselves. Our Jesus would grab the tray. And everybody would be saying, hey, come on, you sit with us, you sit with us. And Jesus would pass all the cool people up. Because I didn't come for the spiritual fit. And he would go to the table of the least likely, least accepted people. And he would sit with them. And he would go, these are the people I came for. These are my people. And these are going to be my followers. Because they're going to follow me. Because I was willing to sit with them and smile at them. And they'll say, why are you sitting with me? And 
You're the son of God. And Jesus would say, I came just to sit with you and to forgive you and to cleanse you and to prove to you you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to keep the rituals. You don't. It's not about circumcision. It all boils down to covenant. I have a covenant with you that's heart to heart. That's my Jesus. He never looks at the clothes, the robes, the cars, the houses, the money, the accomplishments. He looks at the heart and he moves in compassion to show himself great on behalf of those who are lowly. That's Paul's Jesus and our Jesus. That's who the world needs to hear about. There is no God that compares to our God. He is going to go home with you tonight. And he lives with you. And he goes to work and he goes everywhere you go with you. And he says, I am not ashamed to be called their God. And of all things, Jesus before the Father says, I will not be ashamed to call you before my Father, my sister. Jesus, the master, master is going to say, I am not ashamed to call you my sister before my Father. Father, let me present you my sister. Let me present you my sister. Let me present you my sister. Hmm. You know, you, you hear a lot about the bride of Christ. I've done a lot of weddings. And I want to tell you something. Not all the brides were perfect. Not all the brides were picture perfect. But they all were beautiful. It's not that the bride is perfect. It's that the bride attracts. When she comes in, everybody stands up. I want to end with this tonight. He's invested something in you. Not that you're the perfect pride, but there's an attraction that's going to bring somebody to you to see Christ through you. And you don't have to be the picture-perfect bride in a magazine. You can be the little country bride that I end up marrying back there or end up marrying in here or end up marrying in my office with three people present. You don't have to be the perfect picture bride, but every one of you have an investment that somebody's going to see something that Christ has done in you and through you. The bride attracts the attention.
And we've been trying to get perfect when we're supposed to be getting attraction to point to Christ. And as long as we're beat up and intimidated and feeling guilty and shamed, we're not going to attract people to the work of Christ. It's not our beauty. It's His beauty in us. You know what makes the brides, no matter what they look like, you know what makes them beautiful on that day? And I tell you, every bride has something beautiful about them. And you know why? They got a glow. There's a glow. I'm getting married. I've tricked this guy to marry me. He don't know what he's getting. I'm getting married when I get this ring. He's mine. The glow. Man, I didn't even get to my points, but I tell you what, I had fun. This is good. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand. I want to get to the end of Romans and faith. I don't know if I'm going to finish all this or just go straight to that. We'll find out next week. God knows. But I was, I'm glad I was here tonight. Are you? I'm glad I was here tonight. And once again, I want to thank you for sitting up front. Because there's been people even from other churches saying, I've been preaching to empty building. So I want to thank you for sitting up front. And now I want to ask you, would you please sit up front Sunday? Morning and Sunday night. All of y'all, y'all sit right where y'all sitting. Y'all come up front and, and we'd appreciate it. But we love you. We bless you. Let's pray. Father, Paul says what David saw was just a shadow and a symbol. But we have beheld you. He saw the promise. We own the promise. He saw partly. But we saw the manifestation. Not all of it yet. But we saw what you planned from the foundation of the earth was Jesus. We are so blessed. And we depend upon your grace and your mercy. And the power of your precious blood that blots, cleanses, forgives, erases, and throws to the bottom of the sea, sweeps away all of our sin and guilt and shame. We rejoice and we praise you, mighty God, that you loved us enough that instead of having to try to gain your pleasure, we became your pleasure because you bought us and you paid for us. And you love us as you love Christ. All because of what he did. We are grateful and we thank you, Father. And we bless your holy name. Would you just raise your hand and thank him for Christ? Thank him for Christ. Thank him for salvation. Thank him for forgiveness. Just tell him.
thank you that I am so blessed because you do not impute or count my sins against me. I am so blessed and I rejoice in you, my Father. I praise you, Lord, my God. Perfect peace because my mind is stayed on you. In Jesus' holy name. Hallelujah forever. Glory be to God. Amen. Mm. The Lord bless you. We're going to be here this Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to come something straight from the heart, I believe, from God. And um, look in the calendars about the different things we have. And hug a neck. Tell somebody you love them. If you need prayer, we'll be here to pray with you gladly. God bless you and we love you. Amen. You're dismissed.